Hey guys, and welcome to the Praying Christian Women podcast. It's Jamie here with Alana, and we are shaking things up again uh, with me doing the intro. <laughs> How are you doing, Alana? <laughs> I'm feeling so shaken up. <laughs> it's Just weird. like a Beatles song. <laughs> it really is weird because I do the intros when we do interviews, but it is very disarming for me to be like, hey, Alana, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> I'm doing quite well. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Better than I deserve. There oh, we go. <laughs> hey, Dave. How's it going, Dave? <laughs> I so love that. Things are good here. Yeah. Uh, just so that we can make it not an elephant in the room. We're recording on our phones again. Sometimes that happens. Do you want to dive into the long, complicated reason? Or is that nobody really cares? But we can explain if sure, it would make like, you feel happy. I mean, it's just really a matter of sharing space with my husband. He works in the office that is really just a closet in our room, but we've sort of, you know, it, it evolved from a homeschooling room and then it sort of became a homeschooling room shared with the podcast studio with the studio in very loose air quotes. And then my husband recently put actual like, like put a built-in desk in there and like made it nice so that we could actually use it as an office, but he's working from home a lot. So we've been sharing space a lot. So I'm in my daughter's yeah. room on the phone because he's using the computer. Yeah, which, you know, I, I know, I'm sure there are so many people who can relate people who are not used to having more people at home than are, whether that's a husband or kids who are still at home from school or things like that. So yes, everybody understands. But if you hear a little bit more from my end too, since we're on the phone, I might be out and about a little bit more. You might hear more dogs and noise, but we're still here. We're glad it's been a couple weeks, Jamie, since you and I have jumped on to do some episodes. So I'm excited to catch up with you. Yeah, me too. It's like we have to catch up on air because we haven't caught up a whole lot in real life. <laughs> I know. I know. That's, uh, you know, our episodes. If you go back and listen to the very beginning, you know, they're, we're, we're kind of down to business. We're like, hi, we're here. This is what we're talking about. All right, let's open up with prayer. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, I haven't talked to you in a while. Let's see how things are going. So are things going pretty well? Yeah, things are going well. It's, uh, I guess it's not too early to at least let the cat out of the bag that we're working on a really big project that's very exciting and fun. We're doing a, um, it's a big online, the Praying Christian Women online prayer conference. Um, and it's going to be in April. So we're not officially doing promotion yet, I don't think, but we are really excited about it. And it's been keeping me busy. Yes. Yeah. You're working triple overtime, getting details for that together. And by prayer conference, we don't really mean like, let's pray from nine to five. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of speakers, a lot of encouraging topics. Some of the people who are coming are people who have been interviewed by the show before, right, Jamie? Quite a few. Yes, there are quite a few mm -hmm. that, that we just kind of in looking at some different prayer related topics and you're right it's not like a prayer like a prayer time conference it's a learn about prayer different aspects of prayer and and a lot of these guests many of our guests have been on the podcast before talking about things a couple of them we had interviews with them and there were facets of their interviews that we didn't get to cover on the podcast that i thought ah oh, this would be perfect for them to speak on that issue at you know in a conference format so we have a mixture of mm -hmm. interviews interviews and solo talks about 50 50 split between that of of women coming on and talking about what god's put on their hearts related to prayer yeah we're both really really excited about that i'm going to guess that if this episode airs by the time we're ready for signups you'll find it in the description Otherwise, just know that it's coming and it's we are, coming. we're really, we're really excited to bring that to you. And it's just, it's a neat way to build more community, right? Like so much of our community and fellowship has been switched to virtual over the past year. And so I'm really glad that we're doing this. Me too. Cool. Um, what's up? Are we going to we start with prayer, don't we? Because we are the Praying Christian Women podcast. At least we claim to be. I mean, let's hope. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. We we play Christian women podcasters on TV. <laughs> I like that. That's yep. good. 
Well, do you want to pray or do you, I guess I usually pray, right? See, I'm totally thrown up because I did pray. the intro. See, I, I know. don't even know. We're really, really thrown up. How about let's, let's just stay with the, um, you know how they say that like changing up your routine prevents your brain from aging? So I'm all for that, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make all of us healthier, you, me, and all of our listeners to uh, break out a routine. <laughs> so I'll pray. I'm game. All right, let's do it. God, we thank you so much for this chance to connect. I thank you for Jamie and for our friendship. Thank you for all the ways that you have provided for us and for the tech that allows us to just be here on our phones talking to thousands of women about prayer, which is really, really awesome. Pray that you would guide our conversation as we chat about just hurts and forgiveness and letting go of anger. And I just pray that this would truly lead to breakthrough for us and breakthrough for our listeners and that you would be the one to sustain us by your grace while we have these conversations. Amen. Amen. I really thought this topic, you came up with this topic. Um, it's praying through the 10 steps of forgiveness. And I thought this was great because it kind of comes on the tail end of a couple of episodes we did talking about toxic relationships. And when we talked about toxic relationships mm -hmm, in the context right. of family members, that can, you know, forgiveness is a huge part of that. And we touched on it. And so I'm, I'm really glad that we're able to uh, dive a little deeper into it. So our verse of the day yeah. is actually two verses that are from two different gospels. They're parallel scriptures. And I've always found this very intriguing. So it's from Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Uh, this is the NIV. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And then Mark 11.25 from the NIV also says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And the thing that I've always found intriguing about this is even when you look at the original language the the original greek that this was written in like there's no way around the fact that it's talking about you forgive first so that god can forgive you and theologically speaking it kind of sounds like a stipulation or like you could lose your salvation if mm -hmm. you don't forgive people or you can't be saved if you're an unforgiving person and it's just interesting because mm -hmm. we you know with a broader understanding of the gospel we know that Jesus covers all of our sins, including our hearts right. that are prone to unforgiveness. But this wording is interesting. And it, it's like, I don't know, it's almost like a line in the sand, like this is so important. So I'm interested in your take on this. Yeah, because on the one hand, if you were to take just this verse and take it at its simplest meaning, what it means is if you haven't forgiven somebody, then you're going to hell. Like that's the simple, straightforward meaning. But I think that like you said, we do need to look at the pathway to salvation in a broader context. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's a couple ways to kind of explain the meaning behind here. And I don't have hard and fast, like super strong opinions. So I'll just throw out some of the explanations that I've heard because you're right. Like it sounds pretty harsh and it sounds like it goes against other parts of scripture that promise us that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, you know? So what if you call on the name of the Lord, but you haven't forgiven Johnny for stealing your lunch money in second grade? Is God going to send you to hell? And, you know, I'm going to firmly say absolutely not. So then we need to say, so what's, what does Jesus mean here? And the explanations I've heard, one is that similar to good works, they don't earn you a place in heaven. But the act of being saved is going to produce good works so that you can kind of make, they're going to be correlated, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one example I've heard. So the kind of basic explanation, like explain it to me like I'm five, would be, well, if you've been forgiven by God, then you are going to want to forgive everybody else who has ever hurt you. So you're never going to struggle with unforgiveness as a Christian. But again, as someone who's lived long enough to know that that's not the, that's oversimplification, um, mm -hmm. I could also say, you know, it's possible that this is, this is just meant to emphasize. But again, like, 
Jesus can emphasize things, but he's not going to flat out lie to us. Do you know what I mean? So I don't want to just say, oh, well, he put it in these terms just to show us it's important <laughs> because that's that's not in his nature. So I think if I had to put everything I know about salvation together, I would say, no, there's nothing that we can do that is bad enough that we lose our salvation because we haven't followed God in this one step. I'm I'm convinced that there are Christians who die with bitterness in their heart towards somebody and are welcomed into heaven as God's children. And sometimes I love to think about the reconciliation that happens in heaven. Do you know what I mean? The people oh, yeah. who were never able to forgive on earth and they're both Christians. So they get to experience that reconciliation in heaven. Um, but I guess to, to put an actual answer to the actual question you've asked, I'm going to probably lean towards the idea that yes, Jesus is emphasizing how important forgiveness is, but he's not dangling salvation <laughs> in our face saying, if you don't do this, you know, you're going to, you're so bad, you're going to go to hell <laughs> kind of thing. But, um, I think if we can also kind of bring in the idea, good works don't save us, but they are a necessary result. And so, yeah, probably if, if it's to where somebody is so unforgiving and that is a hallmark, it's not that I think there's a big difference between somebody who has been so wounded and keeps on bringing their hurt to God and just is still traumatized and isn't fully healed yet, right? That's somebody who's struggling with unforgiveness. And, and for that person, I'm just going to say, God, God gets it, <laughs> right? But I'm talking more about like the chronic unforgiver who like there's a certain kind of I don't want to call it a breed of Christianity but I can't think of a better phrase who almost take pride in cutting people out of their lives right like this person happens to do this one thing that in my circle is so unredeemable that I'm never gonna talk to them again and again yeah I mean we all have our blind spots we all have our faults that doesn't mean we're, you know, going to be surprised and not get welcomed into heaven for eternity. But I think it is one of these issues that, yeah, if you're, if you're truly saved, then forgiveness is going to be the fruit of that. Yeah. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about another conversation we had about when God is silent and how sometimes there's sin that, you know, the Bible mm -hmm. is clear that yeah. there is sin in general that can hinder our prayers and in some way. I mean, obviously God is omniscient, so he knows our thoughts. I don't think he shuts that part of himself off necessarily, but there is something to the idea that there is sin that can get in the way. There are different categories of sin listed in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if maybe that idea of so that your father can forgive you your sins, maybe there's this, mm -hmm. maybe there's this idea of so that your father can take that sin that's standing between you and him and get mm -hmm. it out of the way. And like, remove it. Only yep. God can do that. I don't know. And that's taking liberties. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you know, try to add to scripture, but in terms right. of trying to understand it in a, like the fullness of the gospel context that we know it as, mm -hmm. I just wonder mm -hmm. if that's, you know, pointing to our ability to communicate with God and have full relationship with him. Yes. I'm going to agree with you there for sure. As another way to kind of explain away, like, for example, we know that um, as Christians, there are very few reasons that divorce is an option to even consider. And so like the, the spouse who wakes up grumpy, they, yeah, technically like if, if it goes too far, they have sinned against the other spouse, but no, it doesn't mean that they stop being married, but it can, you know, years of that can definitely harm the relationship. So I sort of think of sin as, as that there are things that aren't going to make us lose our status as God's children, right? Just like there are a lot of things that are, they're not going to immediately mean that you're, you know, divorced from your spouse, right. but they're still going to harm that relationship. Um, if every single day I yelled and swore at my husband, no, that doesn't like automatically make us unmarried, but it it sure would hurt our relationship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So about the uh, 10 steps. Oh, wait, let's do our just for fun. Are you oh, ready to yeah. move on from the verse of the day? Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Okay. Yeah. Or just for fun. Go ahead. When was the last time you had to tell somebody you were sorry? And for me, that's so easy. It's like, now that everybody's at home all together, I find myself apologizing uh -huh. so much just because I, I've, I just, I'm short with people. I get, you know, I get frustrated mm -hmm. with the kids, especially. So I think the last time that I had to say I was sorry was probably this morning when I told the kids and I'll be very honest with you. It was a, like, it was like a, a, a toddler. Sorry. It was like, sorry. And stomping sorry. off. Yeah. It, was, uh -huh. like, it was more like a, I'm sorry that you made me respond in this horrible way. <laughs> oh, that's bad. I don't know. And, but anyway, I think I did go back and kind of smooth things over and say, you know, I, I didn't handle that. Well, I'm sorry. And I did. Yeah. So it, it definitely would have to be my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish there were more words for sorry because yes. we'll do things where like my husband will be like, ah, I had a terrible day or I've got this really awful headache. And I'll say, Oh, I'm sorry. And he'll be like, why? It's not your fault. Right? <laughs> like, there's the sorry for like, I feel I empathize with you and I am sad that this bad thing is going on, but I'm not taking ownership of it. <laughs> right. But then there's the mm -hmm. actual like repentance of I have sinned against you and I'm asking you for forgiveness. That's one thing we've done with the kids. Um, I worked at a daycare when my youngest was a baby. And so like he was six, six months and I was working with a lot of like three and four year olds and I hated the, okay, now you need to apologize. And just like I said, sorry. Right. Like that's, that's does nothing. Right. <laughs> and so we were really deliberate that it, it's, I'm sorry that, and then the next word can never be you. <laughs> So it's not like, I'm sorry that you are so uh, sensitive. I'm sorry that you, you know, so I'm sorry that I, and then uh, the, the rule is, and you know, we don't really enforce this anymore. This was more when they were younger for the kids, but, and then you have to specifically ask for forgiveness because if you just say, I'm sorry that you're not necessarily taking ownership just because of the nuance of language, right? Mm -hmm. I could say, Jamie, I'm sorry that, you know, our phone connection didn't work, where neither of us are taking actual ownership and responsibility for that. Or I could say, I'm sorry that I wasn't prepared. I know that this was frustrating for you. Will you please forgive me? Right? So we make them add that part. And as a married person who, you know, has done a lot of apologizing that's hard to say that will you please forgive me um yeah. and yeah that's the taking ownership side of it so that was me skirting around the question i've i've done a couple of apologies today for more of uh i've had my customer service hat on lately oh my goodness I had a couple yes. things going on yeah i had a, a big course for authors at launch so i've done a lot of oh i'm sorry you didn't get those files here they are or oh i'm sorry you got locked out of your dashboard here's your password <laughs> done a lot of that i don't know that that actually counts as an apology it's more of a uh let's diffuse the situation <laughs> i love this idea as a words lover i like this idea of uh -huh. having more words for sorry i mean the greeks are great with i like, wish we you know, did all the different words for love i wonder if they have apology mm -hmm. words that'd be interesting because you know like you said i yesterday i had to say a horrible sorry to a, a classmate mm -hmm. from high school who lost his wife and oh. that sorry is so so far from sorry I spilled the glass of water you know or I mean, exactly exactly it, or you don't do this as much anymore oh I'm sorry for talking over you and I truly am <laughs> go ahead hey object lesson. <laughs> that wasn't me being flippant <laughs> object lesson go ahead no, no I was just gonna say that I I feel like the um just the word the word itself just seems trite because we use it so much yes, for so many use it different for so things. many things yeah 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 well you do it less frequently but you used to like at least 70 percent of the times you started our phone call like the very first word out of your mouth would be i'm sorry as in like sorry i'm late or like sometimes i don't even know <laughs> yes well <laughs> i, I texted you yeah actually i should i have to back up because the last time that i said sorry it's on text from when you were trying to log on. <laughs> yeah, actually, send it to my son's Gmail, and then I said sorry. Oh, yeah. there, Okay, okay. Here we go. I'm going to read my thread. Text is good. Let's sorry. 
Text is good. Sorry. Still trying to figure out if I can get it to work. We can just use yours. Then later, actually send sorry. it to my son's Gmail. Sorry. Two sorry's sorry. in four little texts. Right, right. And, you know, that falls under the category of it's just it's common courtesy, right? There's the common courtesy type of sorry. That's what you were doing there. Or that's what I was doing with my students like, oh, you know, sorry, the password got missing. Uh, here it is. Or things like that. There's the, you know, there's the true and heartfelt, like something devastating happens to you. And I'm offering you my sincerest condolences. But like you didn't, you, you're not responsible for the death of anybody. So that's a totally different kind of sorry. Right. And then there's the sorry of I have sinned against you. Will you please forgive me? Right. I would say if we could have three different words that would each apply to like to those, yeah. uh, that would be really convenient. Yeah, I agree. Let's get on that, uh, Mr. Webster. <laughs> Let's do it. I think that would be a great idea. We can be responsible for transforming the English language, revolutionizing the English language. That's right. You can tell so much about a culture by what they do and don't have words for. Yeah. You know, like the uh, what you learn in school, like Eskimos have 30 different words for snow. And I don't think that's entirely true. And I know the word Eskimo is like a blanket term that doesn't really like it's not in use anymore. But it's that kind of thing. Or I was um, this is a little morbid. Fast forward 30 seconds if you're squeamish. But Russia has two different words for cannibalism. Because, oh. like, historically, they've gone through, like, one is where I am, you know, like, serial killer-esque, like, I am going to murder you in order to do this. And the other mm -hmm. one is, like, we are all starving, and here's somebody who happens to no longer be alive. <laughs> so, I, sorry, for, sorry for bringing it down. I, I think that kind of thing is really, really interesting, just the, the power of words, what words reveal about you, and things like that. Yeah, that is fascinating. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyway, should we talk about forgiveness? <laughs> Let's do it. So the All 10 right. steps of forgiveness. The 10 steps of forgiveness. I need to do a little bit of attribution. Some of this comes from, and I'm 99%, I have the attribution right. Some of this is taken from uh, work by Dr. Amen. He is a, like a neuroscientist. I forget his exact title, um, but he also like he's one of the people you might know him from the Daniel fast. He was one of the authors of that book, things like that. Um, so he he approaches forgiveness from a neuroscience standpoint, mm -hmm. um, but also has a Christian background. So this isn't a spiritual teaching. This is more of a, hey, did you know that really terrible things can happen to your brain when you are holding on to unforgiveness, which is just another reason, in addition to the spiritual side of things, why forgiveness is important. Well, and I, I think don't that, think, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I think that when we come to these things where science apart from revelation from God comes to these conclusions that something is horrible and terrible that God agrees is horrible and terrible and, and encourages mm -hmm. or enables us to overcome. So I think of things like unforgiveness. Um, mm -hmm. I think of, of other things like scientific evidence for some of the cleaning, cleansing rituals that the Israelites mm -hmm. went through, or even the day of right. circumcision, you know, like it's just mm -hmm. a testimony that, you know, science is pursuing truth. And I mean, God already had it, but science is coming right. to some of the same conclusions about truth apart from the spiritual component. And we get both. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this isn't like his exact list. Um, I basically like took notes as I was listening to him talk on the subject mm -hmm. and kind of extrapolated something. So I'm going to say like it's 70% him, 30% mine, but I also want to say like there's a 5% chance that I got this from somewhere totally separate. And I also <laughs> happened to be listening to Dr. Amen talking about forgiveness at a similar time in my life. <laughs> but I wrote the 10 steps on a note card. That note card lives on my bulletin board and I pull it out. Uh, when I recognize. Um, so let's talk about this. What would you say are some signs that you need to 
work on forgiveness because it's not quite like it would be simple and easy to be like, oh, someone hurt my feelings. Let me go through this forgiveness process. Boom. Now I never think about it again and never have to revisit it. It's definitely not the case. So what would you say are the signs that it could be useful to go through a forgiveness process? Um, I think one is, are you replaying conversations in your mind with that person? Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of like, are you, or are you even making up conversations? Maybe this is just me, but are you making up conversations like that you would say because you're angry about something, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, like almost like fantasizing how you would approach this person to let them know your feelings mm -hmm. or worse yet, how you would just totally rip them apart verbally, um, based on your frustrations with them. Like if you're playing things mm -hmm. over in your head or imagining interacting with this person, um, I, I think that's definitely a sign that you have some, you're harboring bad feelings that need to come out in one way or another. I totally agree. I think another sign that I come back to is if I find myself like getting annoyed at somebody and my degree of annoyance doesn't match the crime, like um, this isn't a real life example, but like my husband's watching TV and it's too loud. And normally that would be a 0.5 on the annoyance scale, but mm -hmm. I'm reacting as if it's like a four or a five <laughs> on a scale of 10. That's a sign to me that there might be something deeper going on. Maybe the issue isn't really the issue. And how often, especially, you know, in a marriage or in a close relationship, the issue isn't the issue. The issue is not the volume of the TV, right? So what is the issue? And for me, I will pull out these steps when I notice my stress level getting really high, even if it's not stress that I'm aiming at an individual. I'll be like, okay, God, something's going on. <laughs> Can you let me know? And sometimes I go through these steps without a single person in mind. So I, it'll make more sense once we go through it. So I'll just dive into the first step. And the first step, um, I wrote it in shorthand. So the, what I've written as my first step is anger. It's, it's okay to admit that you're angry, right? There's debate about whether anger itself is a sinful emotion. But regardless, if you're feeling anger, it's okay to admit it. So I know for me, and some of this is a little bit cultural from an Asian American background, and some of it's just, I think, life. Like sometimes even just admitting you're angry is a little bit, it's a big step, right? Like again, the, the stereotypical scenario is the wife who's fuming mad and her husband's like, honey, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong, right? So it's okay to admit you're angry. So sometimes I go through this process just in kind of quiet prayer. And sometimes I go through it actually writing it out. So if you're writing it out, really the question is like, what am I angry about? Uh, admitting your anger to God. God, I am angry that this, that, or the other thing. Um, step two is now that you've acknowledged your anger, step two is acknowledging your hurt or your disappointment because that leads us to an even more vulnerable spot right like sometimes uh, the way I had it explained to me that made a lot of sense is the physiological experience of anger is not different than the physiological experience of fear right like it's your tense your heart's pounding you've got that adrenaline in your system and for many people it feels safer to feel angry than it does to feel afraid, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I've heard this before in terms of, you know, maybe you're sad mad, you know, it's similar to be angry as it is to be sad or hurt, but mm -hmm. fear, that is interesting, that's an interesting twist on it because it's kind of a different facet. I really think that's important because yeah. there's, it's that fear that drives you to respond so, uh, mm -hmm what would you say? I don't know. So viscerally. Exactly. And sometimes that visceral reaction is what's scary. I read about a really interesting psychology study where there was a case group where they gave somebody a simple shot and didn't tell them anything about it um, and had them wait in the waiting room for like 45 minutes. 
another group of people, they gave the same shot too, but they explained this shot's going to make you feel jittery. It's, you know, you're going to feel a little bit anxious, a little bit nervous. The symptoms are going to die down in like an hour, something like that. And what they did is they kind of made a, a fake scenario where somebody came into the waiting room where these people were like and acted very belligerent. And the people who were told this shot's going to make you, you know, like it's going to have uh, sweaty palms, heart racing. You're going to feel just a little bit anxious and then it's going to die down. They handled it just fine. The people who didn't understand the source of their, like their heart palpitations and all of that assumed that it was because they were angry. <laughs> it was almost like the body was giving the brain wrong cues. And so the brain said, I'm in danger. So I'm either scared or I'm angry. And so they would be like combative when confronted with this belligerent person. And so sometimes even just knowing uh, the, the source, knowing that there's a physiological reason for what you're going through, <laughs> it makes it so much easier. Like my second pregnancy was a lot easier than the first from a mental health standpoint, because I knew I had had the experience by then to know pregnancy hormones make me really depressed. The first time around, I just thought I was a mess. The second time around, when I could tell myself, you know what, this is, there is a physical explanation for what's going on here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel better, but it, it actually does because you can kind of talk yourself down from it. Yeah. I've had that experience too with other things where, you know, you think, or you think of people that go to the hospital thinking that they're having a heart attack and it's acid reflux or heartburn or something. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. you know, that panic that, you know, mm -hmm. now, you know, okay, yeah. now I know what it is. Okay. I'm okay. I can deal with this. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And so step two is just acknowledging your hurt and disappointment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why, like, again, we can take it back to parenting, because what we're doing as we go through the forgiveness process, it's almost, it's almost like we're both people, we're the parent and the child, right? Here's the parent saying, okay, it's okay, tell me what you're angry about. Okay, I recognize that you're hurt. Sometimes even just that degree of empathy with a kid is really important. So having that degree of empathy with yourself, like, yeah, I'm hurt. I'm disappointed. Um, in this step, you can also be a little more specific, right? I am disappointed that I was hurt when. And then step three, I feel like each of these steps kind of opens up a new layer of vulnerability. So step three is to admit what your, what your fear is. So let's go through a, a fake scenario with the anger as step one, the disappointment as step two, and then the fear as step three. So let's, uh, let's come up with a pretend fight that you and I have. Um, what's the most ridiculous thing that you could do that would make me mad? Um, stealing my favorite coffee beans. Okay. <laughs> so I stole your coffee beans? Yeah, you stole my favorite coffee beans. Now I'm stuck okay. with Folgers. Oh, oh dear. No, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Okay. So what you do is you, you recognize that you need to go through a forgiveness process. I almost, I think of this entire sense steps is almost like a cleansing ritual. Um, and honestly, like we're going to go through it more elaborately. It doesn't have to be like two hours of a process, right? You could do this in a couple minutes. Uh, you could take longer, but anyway, so you, you, you will, jump into prayer and you'll say, God, I am angry that Alana took my coffee beans. Okay. So that's step one. Um, if you want, you can be more specific. Like I'm so angry. It makes me want to throw my Folgers in her face. Right. <laughs> um, and then, then you go to the disappointment. Like it actually hurts to think about drinking Folgers in the morning. Like she took something away from me that is so much a part of who I am that I am deeply hurt by her actions. And then we get to fear. I'm afraid that I am never going to be able to enjoy a nice cup of good coffee again. And that thought is paralyzing. It makes me afraid to, to do anything with my life because who am I without my cup of coffee? <laughs> right? So those, those would be the, the hypothetical of the three steps. As a super funny aside, I actually did have a panic a day of panic where I was recovering from COVID, my taste sense was really messed up and my coffee tasted terrible. It was like one day where it tasted like dirt 
and two days where it just tasted off. And I went through that panic. I'm like, who am I without my coffee? So anyway. And will I ever get my sense of taste back? Will I ever get it back? I know. I know. Right. So the next two steps, steps four and five, are kind of fill in the blanks. So step four is, I'm sorry, that's I. Because even if, uh, you know, we don't want to... We want to be careful. Like we're not saying that you need to blame yourself for what happened, right? But but so in our in our fake scenario, you could say, "I'm sorry that I don't have coffee anymore," and then you could take it deeper, right? Every single one of these steps, you can just scratch the surface, or you could keep on digging until you get really really deep. So the scratching the surface for step four is, "I'm sorry that I don't have my good coffee," and then you could ask yourself, "Okay, but what am I really sorry about?" Well. I'm sorry that somebody took my coffee. Okay, so what does that make you really sorry about? I'm sorry that I live in a world where somebody would take my coffee, right? Like we're getting deeper each time. And then you could like go even deeper. I'm sorry that it was Alana who took my coffee because I trusted her. So I'm sorry that I'm now living in a world where I can't trust one of my best friends, right? Like you can you can keep on taking that deeper. And it doesn't, again, this isn't the kind of sorry where you're necessarily taking responsibility, but it could be. You could also be like, God, I'm sorry that I I called her a bad name under my breast when I realized what she'd done. Or God, I'm sorry that I'm feeling so angry, right? So it could, it could be some of both. It could be either, either or any of the sorries <laughs> that we talked about at the beginning of the show. And then step five is another fill in the blank. And that is what I really wanted. Okay. And again, take it as deep as you want. So in this scenario, what I really wanted was a nice cup of coffee. Well, actually, is that what you really, really wanted? Maybe not. Maybe it's more like what I really wanted was to feel safe and secure and cozy with my nice cup of coffee. And maybe you could take it even deeper than that. What I really, really, really wanted was to live in a world where I was safe enough that I never had to worry about not having a beautifully delicious, hot, steaming cup of coffee, right? So you could take it as deep as you want to go. So to back up real quick, step one is anger, step two is disappointment, step three is fear, and those are where we're kind of just acknowledging what we're feeling. And step four is I'm sorry that, and step five is what I really wanted. Um, Anything that you, any gems of truth, that popped out to you while we were talking through that? No, but I really liked the way you walked us through those fill in the blanks. I was actually finding myself getting sad just thinking about this, you know, like just as you go into, <laughs> but I trusted her and I, I want to live in, I mean, mm-hmm. in a world where I feel right. safe, those like deep beliefs are, mm-hmm. like that's, that's really powerful. And I mean, I'm just thinking about yeah. situations in my life and just marriage is really where I think most mm-hmm. of our conflict takes place. And I'm just thinking, yeah, it's our practice for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. right? This really is a useful thing um, to be able to to implement. Cause I think for me personally, I tend to be a, I, I am, I've always thought that I was easy to forgive, very, very forgiving. Mm -hmm. And it's not be not easy to forgive, like for people to forgive me, but I just, I find it easy to forgive and to move on quick to Mm -hmm. forgive. But what really drives that is my desire to get over the conflict and to move into peace. And (laughs) it's not that I'm this pious person. And I think this kind of thing would be really very beneficial for somebody like me to Mm -hmm. sit in the feelings and really work through them in a way that processes it and doesn't just gloss over it. Because I would love nothing more than to just say, no, we're good. But what I find is the, one of the warning signs for me that I haven't truly forgiven is when I think it's like a layering effect. Like you had talked about how Mm -hmm. your response to an action ends up being more heightened than it should be or more extreme than the action Mm -hmm. warranted. Like, you know, uh, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. he left the toothpaste cap off again. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I think there's a layering there. There could be a totally separate issue or issues that are underlying that haven't been dealt with, Mm -hmm. but there could also be like a layering effect of the same offense that, or perceived offense. Exactly. 
that right haven't dealt with before and so every time it comes up it has a, it packs a, a bigger punch than it right. did the time before of that same thing and it just becomes i just For know sure. that there are issues that that my husband and i have talked about on both sides that that are recurring mm-hmm. issues with us that i know that when we go a while without talking about it and we think everything's mm-hmm. okay because nobody said anything yeah it really mm-hmm. can get get come to a head and you know if it's yeah. not been processed so really valuable tools and yeah. questions so far yeah i mean i would say if people aren't taking notes like i'm not a take notes kind of person but you know if you wanted to put these 10 steps like i said i just have them on a note card on my bulletin board and pull down at least on a monthly basis, it seems like I've been using it. But even if you're not going to like memorize the 10 steps or walk yourself through them, other than just thinking about it while you're listening to the show, I would love for the takeaway to be to remember like the issue is never the issue, right? It's mm-hmm. not about the toothpaste. It's not about the money. Um, like let's take the toothpaste and you say, well, what are you angry about? Well, I'm angry that he left the toothpaste lid off. Well, what are you really angry about? Are you angry that little germs are going to crawl in there? Probably not. Like it's probably more like... I'm angry because I've told him this multiple times and when he doesn't listen, it makes me feel like he doesn't care about my opinion, right? And I'm going to guess that you have that feeling in other areas of your life. Sometimes we focus on the little itty bitty specks in order to avoid looking at the big old logs, right? Maybe you're fixated on that silly toothpaste canister, but really, you don't feel like your husband listens to you when you tell him about your dreams to start a business, right? Confronting that fear and hurt feels too big and scary. So you're going to stay focused on the toothpaste. Unless, like I said, as you take yourself through this process and you ask yourself, okay, what am I really scared of? Mm-hmm. What am I really hurt by? I think that's really, really useful. So yeah, just remember the issue is never the issue. Yeah. Totally agreed. And I am taking notes now so I can add these to the show notes. So they'll be in the show notes. Wonderful, wonderful. And if you need them, I can I can send them to you as well. Um, so step six, so we're halfway through now. Step six is gratitude. And I love, you know me and how much I love incorporating gratitude in any ritual. Mm-hmm. So I love that gratitude's in here. Um, thank you for my husband. Thank you for our bathroom. Thank you for toothpaste. Thank you that my teeth have not fallen out, right? Anything that's even peripherally related to what you're praying through during this forgiveness process, now is the time to give thanks for it. And I I actually like, so you know me, Jamie, like every single time I start a ritual, it starts with gratitude, but I actually like that this one comes in the middle because for people like you and me, we have high positivity. We don't, we're, we have avoidance tendencies mm-hmm. when it comes to like dealing with icky things. So you start by dealing with some of the icky things. Like nobody wants to start off by thinking about what makes them really, really angry or sad or scared. But you do that and then you get to, this is almost the, um, the step where you get to take that really big breath of fresh air. Here are the things that I'm actually thankful for. Um, we've talked about it a ton on the show. This could even be an even though prayer. Thank you that I want to sell my coffee, even though now I'm stuck drinking Folgers. Or thank you that tomorrow I can get into my car that works and drive to my store that's open and buy coffee with, you know, a debit card that works or something like that. Um, anything that's even peripherally related. This is where you just kind of inundate it with gratitude. I think about our conversation we had on one of our episodes about toxic relationships. And I really like, I feel like this is kind of a part three to that whole episode uh, series. And I was talking about how my job was to uh, help prepare slides for medical use, mm-hmm. like tissue samples that we turn into slides. And there are different processes and some of them have to do with like staining and some of them have to do with cleaning and I feel like we've done a lot of the icky work where you feel bad or dirty or you know like you feel down and this is the step where you really get to just kind of wash all that away Um, so step six is gratitude and basically everything from here on out is more in terms of the the washing Mm -hmm. side of it that's why I really do like to think about this is kind of just a cleansing uh, ritual. So even if you don't go into it, like what I would love 
I would love to give myself a reminder to like the first of every month to pull this card out and to go through it no matter what. Like what is something that made me angry this month? What is something that made me hurt? It doesn't have to be like for a specific person. Um, so step six, like we said, is gratitude. Step seven is love. And this can be as simple as um, God, I love my husband. God, I love Alana. You can add in even though. I love my kids, even though they're driving me a little bit crazy today. Um, it's just reminding yourself and confessing before God your love for this person. And there is power in actually stating these words. I'm not saying we need to like, you know, say them out loud, but just the, the act of stating them before God. God, I love this person. Uh, that's really, really powerful. Um, if you wanted to go deeper, this could turn into, well, what are all the things that you do love about this person? And it might be easiest to start with things that have nothing to do with the issue. So um, I don't love that Alana stole my coffee, but I really love that we get to have phone calls together. I think it's as you get deeper into this, it could be a good exercise to try to find ways to, um, to even make this tie in. So let's go back to the toothpaste example. I love that my husband has so many like amazing dreams and he's always in daydream mode, which is why he forgets to <laughs> uh, close the, the toothpaste can. You know how they say that like the things that you love most about your significant other when you're dating can kind of morph into the things that bug you the most, like once yes. you've been married for a long time. Mm -hmm. So kind of reminding yourself every negative quality has its positive counterpart. So maybe it's my husband spends too much money. It stresses me out. But you know what? There is a positive counterpart to that. Maybe he's just really, really generous. Or maybe he's spontaneous and fun. And buy, you know, some of his uh, frivolity in spending is to buy you nice presents. I'm sure when you were dating, you loved that about him, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So, so just reminding yourself of of the things you do love about the person in question. And if you're at a place where you can, try to find things that you love that relate to the issue, right? And just remember, like, everything that you love about somebody, every positive about somebody does have a negative side. It can be, I'm mad at my husband because I feel like he never takes me seriously. But you know what? He is so funny. And that's what made me fall in love with him in the first place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that is step seven is, you know, just kind of before God admitting your love for that person. It, if you, you're not in the habit of doing things like that, if you're not in the habit of just kind of sitting before God and stating a truth, it can feel a little weird. It can be like, well, God already knows if I do or don't love this person, so why should I have to say it? But honestly, like, that's almost as silly as, like, my girlfriend already knows if I love her, so why do I have to tell her? <laughs> you know, like actually stating it as a truth in a spirit of prayer is so powerful. Um, and, you know, like there are like what we talked about going back to just kind of the neuroscience. It can actually like rewire some of your thinking to, you know, to sit with those kinds of thoughts as opposed to the, the dark and the negative. Um, Step eight is compassion. This is where you try to, how do I want to say it? Like you try to empathize with where the other person's coming from. So you've gone, this is the first step that really truly is 100% selfless. It's not about you. It's not about your anger or hurt or frustration. It's not about how much you love this person. It's, it, it's totally about them. It's you take every single ounce of empathy you've got you put yourself into their situation and you find a way to be loving and gentle toward them. One way I heard a neat person, um, not Dr. Amen, but I, I forget who, but speaking about forgiveness and what he would do is he would picture, like I think this was a case of like an abusive parent or something like that, where like the act of picturing his abuser and also bringing to that a sense of compassion, it was, it just felt impossible. And what he did is he learned to picture his abuser as a little kid who had not gone through whatever he had gone through that led him down the path to become destructive. And he pictured himself just as, as a little kid loving and playing with that person. Um, 
you know, no, this isn't, uh, it's, it's just a mental hack. It's not like a, a mystic thing or anything like that. It's just a way, like if, if it's too hard for you to picture the person that you're trying to forgive and to muster up feelings of compassion and empathy, see if you can go back, right? Because like the, the deeper the wounds, the more you might have to take this into account. Um, if it's, you know, Jamie and me, and I drank her last cup of coffee and forgot to buy her a replacement, probably aren't going to need to like go back decades to where like you and I were both little kids and we were playing together. But if it's like a, a long and persistent injury and, you know, a traumatic injury, sometimes you might not be able to picture that person right now as they are right now. Another kind of mental hack you could try, try to picture them as God sees them, right? Like, I don't mean to say this to sound blasphemous, so don't, don't go too far with this, but what I'm trying to say is like, put yourself in God's shoes, like try to place yourself in God's shoes and see that person through his eyes. Um, that can be another kind of a tip to try to foster that sense of compassion. Um, there's something to be said for like forgiveness can happen whether or not we have lovey-dovey feelings for somebody. It's not about an emotional experience, but being able to just kind of sit with God and work on this practice of compassion can be really, really powerful as a step toward forgiveness. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would be very powerful. And, you know, also just as an aside, if you're listening now and you are in a situation, maybe someone, I, I don't know, for me personally, it would be easier for me to forgive someone who would have done something to hurt me. But like, let's say something, someone abused one of my children, God forbid, mm -hmm. some other child or some other person that I mm -hmm. care about. I find that more difficult. And so I'm just picturing someone sitting there, something terrible has happened to someone that they love and they are trying to forgive and they cannot get to that place. Just don't feel any condemnation or judgment or guilt mm -hmm. if you're not there yet to be able exactly. to say, okay, I can have compassionate feelings, or like you said, it's not a feeling necessarily. It's a decision to move forward in this path yes. towards forgiveness, but don't let the enemy get a foothold and, and condemn you because you care so much about someone or you've been so deeply hurt that it's very mm -hmm. hard to go down this path. Um, so yeah, I just, just, I absolutely agree. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like with worship, right? We're commanded to worship. That doesn't mean that we need to feel a lofty, experiential, spiritual, um, spiritual high. You know, we don't need to. You can have worship and never feel euphoric about it. But you know what? When those moments of euphoria come, those moments where you, you physically and spiritually sense God's presence and his love for you, when they come, that's great too. So yeah, don't feel like the feelings of forgiveness have to happen, but doing a tiny bit of work to see if you can muster even the smallest, smallest itty bitty bit, right? So maybe let's go to somebody who has harmed a child, right? I mean, that's, that's the worst crime in the universe, really. And so maybe you, you can't picture this person and muster up compassion or empathy. Maybe, maybe the closest you come to is pity, right? Like you're such a sick and twisted person. I feel terrible for you. Um, like eventually it would be great if you could move beyond that, but if that's where you're at, start there. Yeah. And, and not to be afraid to ask for God's help. I remember we mentioned Corey Tenboom and her bell mm -hmm. analogy of forgiveness. And yeah. when, when she was confronted with forgiving, um, there were two different forgiveness stories. One was her forgiving some friends who had done something, betrayed her. And another was for forgiveness. Um, it was, it was, she was in front of a church speaking about forgiveness and about her experiences mm -hmm. in the concentration camps. And after her, her talk on forgiveness, she, it, she came face to face with one of the guards that had yeah. 
that had been mean to her and her sister and her sister mm-hmm. had eventually died there at that camp. And mm-hmm. he, she talks about feeling like, Oh my goodness. He said something like, I'm so glad to hear you talk of forgiveness because I am sorry for what I did. And she didn't know if he knew that she remembered him. Cause I don't know if he even knew. Oh, maybe he didn't yeah, remember her yeah. and it was more of a generic. Yeah. I was a guard and I did horrible right. things. You and know, she please. remembered him specifically. Huh? She remembered oh, him. Man, that would have been so hard. And what she said was she was talking to God in that moment thinking, I can't do this. Isn't it ironic that I just yeah. spoke on forgiveness? And right. <laughs> she said, God, and her hand was in her pocket, I think. That was what it was. Like she was holding onto mm-hmm. her purse and her other hand was in her pocket. And I hope I'm not butchering the story, but she just said to God, God, I cannot forgive this man. He extended his hand out to shake her hand and said, please forgive mm-hmm. me. He said, I cannot forgive this man, but I can take my hand out of my pocket. I can do that much. Aww, yeah, that very first step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she did. And she took her hand out of her pocket and reached it out. And I believe, if I'm not getting the story wrong, that she felt the presence of God when she touched that man's hand in that mm-hmm. just physical, like, brain to hand act of obedience mm-hmm. that, that yeah. God followed that with his power that allowed her yeah. to at least begin to feel forgiveness. She though described that, uh, that, that transaction of forgiving that man as easier than forgiving the friends that had betrayed her. Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. But anyway, I just thought that yeah. was a really well, powerful I think- picture. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're such huge fans of Corey. She's going to be so much at the forefront. Honestly, outside of my like family, she might be like the, of course, God, (laughs) I I can't wait to get to heaven. Like I would love if we get jobs in heaven. I know some people entertain the possibility. I would love to become the, um, like a biographer for, um, you know, for martyrs or people who have gone through intense suffering in the name of Christ. And she would oh, wow. so much be the very first person that I would want the honor of uh, sitting down for an interview. <laughs> Maybe we will podcast in heaven and we will have an episode. with <laughs> Corey, can you imagine? <laughs> I had never entertained the idea that we could be podcasting in heaven. That would be too cool. <laughs> yes. And, and just in case anybody's feathers are getting ruffled, we aren't, we're not speaking from a theological standpoint. No. Um, but, you no, know, who knows? Point. There's nothing in the Bible that says we won't be able to. So Mm-mm. anyway, um, yes, so much, so much love for Corey. Um, okay, so that's, oh, and I remember what I was going to say. The fact that it was harder for her to forgive her friends, I think, again, goes to show, like, the closer you are to the person who hurts you, mm-hmm. the deeper it does go. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's that's true totally across the board. Um which is why I hereby solemnly promise to never steal your coffee beans and make you drink falters. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> All right. So step nine, uh, we just finished up eight, which is compassion. Step nine is forgiveness itself. And that is where, especially if you've been kind of jotting down notes, um, like shorthand notes about any of these previous steps, this is where you kind of systematically go through them all. and in your time of prayer before God, you state the specifics. So you're not just saying, I forgive Joe. You're saying, I forgive Joe who made me feel scared that this would happen. I forgive Joe who uh, made me angry when this happened. I forgive Joe who I have compassion for because I can picture him as a broken individual, right? It's just kind of where you, this is almost the, uh, hmm, the bringing it all together, right? Like everything, this is, so let's say steps one through eight that we talked about are mm-hmm. like assembling your quilt squares. And step nine is where you like actually make them into a quilt, right? Like it's fine and good to sit there and try to feel compassion for somebody, but that doesn't lead to actual forgiveness. What's the point, right? And yeah. just like what we said with confessing, like love for somebody, not romantic, but just like, I love this person, even though they're, you know, they did this thing. Uh, There's so much power in coming to God in a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to say verbally, but what I just mean is like using actual words, 
right? You don't have to speak them out loud. You could, but using actual words to say, I forgive this person. I forgive Alana for taking my coffee. There is so much power doing that and especially doing that before God, right? It's right there in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive me my sins, just like I forgive Alana for stealing my coffee beans or, you know, just as I forgive my husband for leaving the toothpaste lid off. So that's step nine. It's um, just doing the whole work of putting all the things that came up, all the emotions and all the thoughts and all of the, the everything that came up in the previous steps and kind of in an organized way stating to God that you are forgiving for different reasons. If you're not into journaling and you prefer to do this kind of thing just mentally, this would be the one step. If you're like, I'm going to journal a little, but I'm not going to journal like 10 whole steps. This would be the one step that I could say. It, it could be really, really powerful. It's not a requirement, but it could be really powerful for you to write out actually. I forgive blank for blank. I forgive blank for the time I felt blank, you know, things like that. Yeah. So that's the, the forgiveness process. And the last step, what I have on here is appreciation, which I'm not sure totally encapsulates what I mean. Basically, it's like the debrief. It's where you get to, um, you sigh that sigh of relief. You decide to note if you feel any different. And like I said, it's not about the feelings, but sometimes the feelings can give us cues, right? Do you feel less anxious? Do you feel less angry? Um, do you feel less afraid? If you don't, it doesn't mean you've done something wrong, but it's just kind of sitting back, appreciating the fact that you did something really, really hard appreciating the fact that God has forgiven you for your sins um, and just kind of putting that as the lid to this whole process. And those are the 10 steps of forgiveness. I really like that. That's great. And I would love to know if you just kind of came up with these, because that would be just a great book. <laughs> oh, right, right. Well, like I said, like some of it, I, if it's I were to like do it in the actual book form, yeah, I would have to go back and figure out like exactly what came from where. I know what references <laughs> know, like, that you're not duplicating. I know. Yeah, I'm, I think I added a couple steps, but I also like directly took some. So, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I think it is a useful process. Um, if, you know, a book doesn't appear, everybody's welcome to write these down on a note card and that'll be about just as good. Can I ask right. a question? Of course. So sometimes we can get angry with God. Like, is it blasphemous mm -hmm. to go through these and recognize and just acknowledge to God, God, I, I've been mad at you because I have blamed you for this circumstance that happened or I've, I've felt angry and that's driven a wedge. Like, can I, I right. mean, no, you can't do all of these steps with God because you can't feel pity or compassion for God. Um, but I don't know, would it be appropriate to kind of go through some of these things and some of these steps if you're angry with God, or would it be better to acknowledge that your anger with God is, I don't know. That's, I mean, I've I, like, I remember in just, um, thinking back to a podcast episode with Kay Warren, who she and her husband, Rick, lost their son. Um, and she was very angry for a long time. And she said that she never stopped believing in God, but she thought he was mean. Like those are her exact words. Mm -hmm. Angry mm -hmm. with him. So would you gear would you gear this and acknowledge to God in his presence? You know what? I'm upset about this circumstance and I kind of blame you for it in a way, or is that kind of too blasphemous? And should you, you know, I mean, if that was, yeah, if that was blasphemy, like the Psalms would not be scripture, right? Okay. Like half of Good the point. Psalms would Good be sacrilegious. Point. Right. Um, I feel like anger is a human emotion, whether or not it's a sinful emotion honestly is a tiny bit of um it doesn't really matter because either way you're angry and right. god already knows it so i see no reason to skirt around the issue uh i see not acknowledging your anger at god to be the same thing as the wife who just says i'm fine even though like it's very very obvious that she's really really angry 
Right. With um, the exception yeah, I that think- God already knows that you're mad and knows what, you know, he knows the, the depths of your heart. You can hide things from your husband, but you can't hide things from God. So you're just driving right. a wedge further between the two of you by denying exactly. It. Exactly. Yeah. So you are where you are and there's, it's, I, I feel like it's more blasphemous to try to pretend that you're at a good place when you're not because God knows, right? right. Like, I like that. sometimes that could work with a friend or a husband. It's not going to work with the Lord. The one other thing I wanted to mention is that we can do this process uh, for things too. So um, I thought it would be really, really fun to, give you know give examples of what this would look like in practice and we kind of already talked about and it's a little more intuitive how you would do this for a person who hurts you so what i was thinking could be really really fun i want to give listeners kind of the the example of what this would look like do you know what i mean like how to walk somebody or how to walk yourself through this process and it actually ties in really well we're getting to a year on to when our COVID lockdown uh, began. So I wanted to give an example of how you would walk someone through this, like not only for people, but for events. So would you be willing to join me, Jamie, in a part two where we kind of go through these steps and people can see kind of in action how, how to pray through these 10 steps? That would be great. I think it would be so relevant. And yeah, I think that'd be really fun. Well, maybe it wouldn't be fun. Awesome. It would be cleansing. Probably won't be fun. It would be cleansing. <laughs> it's like a, it's like bloodletting, which I know is not a standard medical practice anymore. But I think I get why people like thought that that would help, right? Like, let's just get the bad blood out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap up with our, um, our wrap up. So How about we will leave you with our blessing and our benediction, and we will invite you to join us for part two, where you'll be able to see a little bit more kind of real-life examples of what praying through these 10 steps could look like. Um, Let's let's shake things totally up, mostly because I don't have my slide ready yet, but I will in a sec. Do you want to do the blessing and I'll do the benediction? Yes, I like it. This has been the Shake Things Up episode of the Praying Christian Women (laughs) podcast. We should have saved this for the April Fool's episode. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to come up with something good for that. That would be cute. Okay. Our blessing today is may God grow in you a heart of gratitude so that in everything you will give thanks. May you rejoice when you're enjoying plenty and rejoice when you're suffering want. May your prayer be constantly seasoned with gratitude so that you truly do enter his gates with thanksgiving. May your heart rejoice in God who richly supplies us with all that we need and grants us his abundant blessings. And your benediction comes from Galatians 6.18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. Then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com slash journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.